to complain and grumble, right? Yeah. You took us out here to kill us. And then God opened the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land and got to the other side. And the water there, I've just been listening to this um, the last couple days, the water there on the other side was bitter, meaning you couldn't drink it. So what did they do? Complain. Complain. <laughs> uh, and so then God had Moses throw a log in the water, and the water became fresh, and they could drink it. And then they went to a different place where there were springs, and by now there was no food. And so they were hungry. And what did they do? Complain. Complain. And God sent them manna from heaven and quail every night to eat. Uh, and this process continues over and over and over during the 40-year uh, wandering in the wilderness. The people kept on complaining, even though God kept on giving his gifts. We talked about how part of that is, um, as we're dealing with situations in this world, lots of times it's hard to trust that God is actually in control and taking care of us in them, right? So, um, if I contracted a disease, right, if, if I get diagnosed with cancer, the question that goes through my mind is what? Why would God let this happen to me? You know, I'm such a handsome guy. I'm, uh, I'm so smart. I'm just, nobody's laughing, so you must agree with me. Okay, there. <laughs> uh, why is this happening to me? I go to church every Sunday, twice, right? Um, and yet, is God still taking care of me even though my sinful nature doesn't understand how? Sure. Yes. Uh, and, and that's a big part of what we were trying to talk about last time. So, we're gonna start with question nine. Uh, we have a couple Bible passages to read, building on where we left off last time. So let's read Romans 5, verse 13. And if someone else turn to Galatians 2, uh, and we have a couple of passages from Galatians, but let's we'll start there. Romans 5, verse 13. If someone gets there, if they would read it, that would be fantastic. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay, how about Galatians 2, 19 to 20? Galatians 2, 19 to 20. For through the law I died through the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, and then if we turn a couple pages to Galatians 5, 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And one more page, uh, Galatians 6, 14. But part... But far to be from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord 
Israelites were provided for, some still struggled to trust God. Because of our sinful nature, we too can see His provision for us, and yet we still sometimes lack in trust. The question is, how can we truly grow in trust to God? By being in the Word. By being in the Word. That's the biblical answer, right? Paul says it clearly in several places. I think the one that's probably most familiar is from Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. The way we grow in faith is through the Word. And not just the word only, sometimes the word is attached to things, right? So sacraments, we have baptism, which is not just plain water, but it is the word of God attached to the water. How about the Lord's Supper? It's not just uh, a cracker and some uh, Mogan David, right? It is Christ's body and blood when the word is attached to the bread and the wine. These things, the word and the sacraments, connect us to Jesus on the cross. The way the forgiveness earned by Christ on the cross comes to us here 8,000 miles away, 2,000 years later, is in word and sacrament. And the Holy Spirit works that so that we increase in faith and in trust to Christ. So, these texts that we read also said one more thing that I don't know that we always think about. Maybe we'll just think about it with baptism. Crucified with Christ. Right. In our baptism, we were crucified with Jesus. Um, and not just crucified with him, uh, we also were what with him? Cleansed. Is that cleansed? Cleansed, yeah. Buried. Buried, yeah. So in baptism, it's like uh, you've got Velcro to Jesus. And he's on the cross, and you are with him. When he's in the tomb, buried, you are with him. And what's the next step? Resurrection. Resurrection. And you are with him in that. Um, we say that Romans 6 goes on and talks about it. I don't think we read that. We read Romans 5. But right after that, Romans 6, we read words that say that every time we have a funeral. Okay? Uh, Romans 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, in other words, crucified with Jesus, we have also been united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. One who has died has been set free from sin. Have you died? 
And even if we listen real closely to what he's saying, we can say, what's the bread of heaven that they're eating in the wilderness? Jesus. They don't understand Jesus yet, but that's what they're eating. And we have it in um, uh, one of the epistles as well that says, the water from the rock in the wilderness was also Jesus. And Jesus says to the woman at the well, you know, if you drink the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. Um, we have Aaron gathering the manna together and putting it in the jar as a reminder for all the Israelites to come after that God had provided for them in the wilderness. And that's the past part of it. But it also implies a present part. If God took care of those people in the wilderness, it follows what? He'll take care of me. He'll take care of me now also. Um, past action with present abiding results. And that jar of manna eventually is put into the Ark of the Covenant uh, along with Aaron's budded staff and kept for a long, long time until the Ark of the Covenant disappears, possibly destroyed with the Babylonians. Okay? Now the second part of the question is, um, why did that manna not spoil? Because God sent it. Because God sent it. Now, at the same time, the other manna out there, God sent, and if you if you gathered a week's worth of manna, what happened to it? It spoiled the next morning because you were told to get only as much as you can eat. So why is this manna not spoiled? Because you have preserved it. Yeah, God wants them to remember that He's the one who provides. He wants you to remember that also, right? Um, and we, in the small catechism, we have the first part. Uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures. He's given me my body and soul, my eyes, my ears, my reason, and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He gives me, thank goodness, clothing, shoes, food, drink, household, wife, children, land, animals, and all that I have. God's still given that same promise here where he's providing and caring for us. And we have a different way that we remember it now also. More complete, perhaps, because we see the bread of life as Jesus, the fulfillment of that. What is the, what? Does the jar as a vessel kind of prove this term prefigure Christ? Yeah. God's promise has to be in a, in a vessel of some kind to be preserved. Hmm. I, was, I would have no problem saying that the jar of manna prefigured Christ. I'd be a little careful saying the part about the vessel because there are some who teach that the person Jesus was just a vessel for God. 
All right, I'll confess here. This is what I was taught in my um, baptism class when I was a kid before I was baptized, not the Lutheran church. They taught that Jesus was just a regular guy and God possessed him and used him as a vessel and controlled him and made him go to the cross and then abandoned him on the cross and God went up to heaven and the man, Jesus, died. And we would make sure we said, it's not, he's not just a vessel, they are united as one. Yeah. I know that's a small split hair, but... Well, there was, is there an ancient heresy that, that said that? I mean, there's even a name for it. It got rejected. And yep. It, it crops up every few hundred years. Yeah. It was in an army barracks out in New Jersey. And uh, a guy proposed this. We were, I don't know why, we were sitting around in Paris talking about religion that wasn't very often the topic. But, and I was kind of really, I was embarrassed because I didn't have a response. Mm -hmm. At almost 20 years old, I should have had a response. Yeah. You're, you're absolved <laughs> and, and forgiven. And we all have those moments. And that's, that's why we keep on studying. Um, I think in the introduction to his small catechism, maybe it's the large catechism, I'm doing this part off the top of my head, uh, Luther said, how could we ever think that through one reading of the Bible we'd have understood everything? Because God never stops teaching it. And, and that's that's why we need to always be here studying and reading and learning more because there's always something more. Um, pastor Poppy always says that too. You know, he's been a pastor for 20 years here and he was a lay minister for 20 years before that and he's still learning new things. And, and not really new things, but what the Bible says in its fullness. We can never stop learning, but God never stops teaching. So, yeah. I just noticed in the notes, in the notes it said that jar that we're talking about. In Hebrews 9, verse 4, it says it was made of gold. Yeah. Um, and even the Ark of the Covenant is coated in gold. That, that keeps it. And what's the the gold part indicate to us? Well, it lasts a long time because gold doesn't um, react with things, air, whatnot. It doesn't rust. That's why your wedding ring is gold. It's precious. It's, it's precious and valuable and important. Um, this is more of a Sunday Bible study thing. That's why, too, in the church, the area behind the altar rail, we had extra reverence there. That's why the altar itself is made out of, it's not just two by fours that we glued together, right? But it's a little bit fancier. That's why we have um, pyramids. That's why we decorate the church to indicate what about God? Yeah, he's not just your average guy, maybe is the way to say it. And we do the same thing. We don't understand this well here in the United States, but what's the queen wear that shows that she's the queen? 
A crown. Yeah, a big fancy crown with lots of gold and, and jewels, right? And it wasn't weigh like 16 pounds or something of, of gold and jewelry. Um, it indicates that she's a special lady. And we try to indicate the same thing with the vessels that serve God. And so we use silver for the chalice. Um, we use linen for the altar cloth. So, I don't know. And we can go out on with that. We don't just use old t-shirts to make the pyramids, right? We've got the fancy fabric with the designs woven into it. Um, bro brocade? Bro brocade. 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 the house of God and me and his companions gave the possibility 
there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you, which one of you, he said to them, Christian love, however you word it. 
And yet we know with Christ, he's there with us, carrying the burden, being with us, helping us as we go through it.
Christ is the perfect man on behalf of all of us who are not. And the law is fulfilled in what Jesus did. Um, Jesus brings it to its completion. And so, for you to be saved, what do you need to do? Nothing. Because no, why? Jesus already did. Jesus already did. So there's no requirement that says you must be in church to go to heaven. As if your act of going to church was the thing that got you into heaven. At the same time, and this is question 15 has been talking about this also. Um, is it good for you to be in church? Yes. Yes, why? Not to earn your way to heaven, but what, what happens in church? To receive God's gifts. Yeah. God gives the goods. Okay? Um, when when you're, you were a kid and mom was serving dessert, if you were in the backyard playing, what happened? You missed out. You missed out. You didn't get any dessert. Right? Because you weren't where the goods were being given. I don't know about your folks. Did your folks force you to come in and eat dessert? <laughs> you didn't <laughs> okay. Never missed it. Yeah. My, my parents, they might say one time, you know, like uh, if we made homemade ice cream, you know, we're serving the ice cream now. And if I chose to go do something else, there might not be. There might not be any left. I missed out when the goods were being given. That's what happens here in church also. God gives his gifts. And we want to be where the gifts are being given, when they're being given. And, and that's why it's so very important to be in church. But at the same time, like the question says, is there a requirement? As if... In, uh, in Hankinson, North Dakota, the Catholic Church members, if someone was getting married, they always wanted the wedding to start after 4 o'clock. Do you know why? Then it counted. If you went to church after 4 o'clock on Saturday, it counted so that you didn't have to go on Sunday. Sunday. But if the wedding was at 3 o'clock on Saturday, it didn't count. And so then, oh my goodness, you'd have to get up the next morning and go to church on Sunday morning, too. I know it seems really silly, but it's true. Yeah, that's what they did. When I was growing up, they still do some places, yeah. And right now, because of the pandemic, they've released everyone from the Holy Days of Obligation. Have they? At least in Lincoln, sure. I know they have. Okay. Or maybe not for everyone, but I think they're making exceptions for people, too. So. 
They, they also have holy days of obligation. Well, that's Sunday. If you are a faithful Catholic, you're required to be in church on that day. And she said, because of the pandemic, they released that. Now, but they also have online. I have a really good Catholic friend, and she just goes to the computer, and she can go to Mass every morning. And, I mean, it's just like us. We're watching at home when we don't come to church. And, so, yep. um, and they also have Bible study, you know, which I thought was something they used to do, but they, they are doing Bible study. But it's all virtual now. Well, and... The thing that is the issue behind it that, that is key is, is there a requirement? Is there a minimum? Is there, when you stand at the pearly gates, I know that's not how it happens, but that's the way we talk, right? When you stand at the pearly gates and St. Peter looks at your name, is he going to say, oh, you were three church services short. You don't get in. No. No. But I no. told there is a commandment that we are to we're gathered together in groups of more, two or three or more. We have a word that says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst you. Um, here's, here's the challenge, and we're going to get this next Bible verse is the one that we want to look at with that too, okay? The challenge is we want to be in church because God gives the gifts. But it's not like there's a requirement. So many Sundays you go. It's not like sermon notes, right? Okay? Um, confirmation sermon notes. You have to do 20 of them, right? A couple of kids get their 20 sermon notes done in the first couple months, right? Because you get two church services a week, 10 weeks, two and a half months. You can be done with all your sermon notes. Okay? And then what? Now I don't have to go to church anymore. I got all my sermon notes done. That's not the way it works. We come to church because that's where God bestows his grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And that brings us to the next question, which we should read the passage so that we're talking about. Uh, this is day four, question 15. And it says, Hebrews 10.25. Hebrews 10.25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, the author to Hebrews, who I think is St. Paul, says you should not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. Okay, don't neglect coming to church. Don't neglect participating in uh, the divine service, as some do. But encourage one another all the more, especially, they say, as you see, the day drawing near. What day are they talking about? Okay, so we have these two things that are intention. Number one, you can't earn your way to heaven by coming to church. 
At the same time, number two, but you should make sure that you go to church. You have those two things, and they're kind of like intention. This is the way it is with all the law and the gospel, right? Okay? Um, am I going to earn my way into heaven by not drowning Leonard? Just to bring where we start, right? Or Leonard. He's never going to sit in the front again. <laughs> am I going to earn my way into heaven by not drowning him? No. No, but at the same time, should I drown him? No. No. Um, is Ken going to earn his way into heaven by not stealing cars out of the parking lot? No. But should he steal cars in the parking lot? No. Okay? It's that tension that's there. We're not earning our way to heaven by coming to church, but we should be in church. And it's because it's the place God gives the goods. We, we can never, ever, no, not ever, no, not once, earn our way to heaven. But because it's been earned for us, we should do our darndest to fulfill love towards God and love towards neighbor. And we should have the desire. Yes. And going to church does both love towards God and love towards neighbor, right? Because when you come to church, God's really here, present. So you're interacting with Him through word and sacrament. And also, we're here to interact who? With each other, right? So we can find out, you know, I can have a conversation with Marine and find out what's going on in Marine's life and what things she might need help with. Or, you know, maybe Barb needs someone to help her get to her car because the parking lot's icy. And so when I'm here at church and we have that conversation that I know what's up with Barb and I can love her as well as love God. Doing a lot of dancing here today. What about the third commandment then? Third Is commandment. Is it a sin to not go to church at a, at a certain point if you continue to not go? It is sin to neglect God's word. That's, uh, what's that do? Why is that a problem? Because it's also sin to... What's that? You might lose your faith if you... Right. Sin, unrepentant sin, hurts our faith. So whether it's a silly thing, uh, you know, I'm talking in human terms here, like a crazy person. Uh, it's a silly thing in our modern world to curse or swear, right? Okay, when I was a kid, they had to put stickers on the CD if the guy said a bad word. Now, it's hard to find a CD that doesn't have, it's hard to find a CD. Hard to find music that doesn't have bad words in it, right? Even, uh, you know, country music has their own unique inappropriateness that's drifted in. And it's not that if we avoid all of that, we're going to earn our way to heaven. It's sin to curse and to swear and say, you know, may God destroy you in hell forever or go to hell, right? It's sin to say those things to people 
That's not why you go to hell. It's because you did that sin. The thing it does is it hurts your faith. And if you don't have the faith, you go to hell. How does it hurt your faith? Well, yeah, what you're saying is, if, if I say it's okay to curse or swear, uh, whose word have I changed? So take it to church, right? Uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Go to church. If I say, uh, I'd really like to sleep in, though. That's sin. And the sin hurts my faith because I've changed God's word. And I say... I think I know better than you, God. I need my beauty sleep. So what about the people that would say, um, I don't need to go to church because I read my Bible at home, and that's enough because I have a personal relationship with Jesus, or church yeah. is necessary in that case. I still have faith even though I don't go to church. Yeah. Here's what I'd say. I'll make sure I say everything I need to say. Knowing I'm not the judge, right? I'm not deciding who's going to be saved and not who is. Now, um, when you read the Bible, is that God's word? Is the Holy Spirit working? Can the Holy Spirit create the same faith through that? Are you getting all the gifts? Is the Lord's Supper given when you're just at home reading your Bible? Is the consolation of the brethren, right? So the conversation about what's going on in other people's lives taking place. So it holds the potential to hurt your faith. Can you still be saved? Yes. At the same time, we don't want to neglect the ways that God gives his gifts. And the divine service on Sunday morning is especially designed to give you all the gifts. So we start with confession and absolution, which is bringing us what gift? Forgiveness. Right? Forgiveness of sins. And it also is driving us back to our Baptism, right? Because our old sinful nature is being drowned and dying, and the new Christian nature is being raised up. So part one of the service, baptism and absolution, which go together. Second part of the service in the hymnal, what do we call it? Service of the Word. What's the focus of the service of the Word? We read an Old Testament lesson, an epistle lesson, a gospel lesson, a psalm. We sing a hymn based on God's word. We have a gradual, which is, again, God's word. What's the second part of the service bringing to us? God's word. God's word. Third part of the service, service of the sacrament. What's that bringing to us? The sacrament of the altar. Christ's body and blood in with and under bread and wine given for us for forgiveness, life, and salvation. And we get to eat it. And all those things are being given to us here in the divine service. All right.
throw anything at me. That's where, too, if all we're doing is getting our church through YouTube, what are we missing? Exactly. Can you still be saved? Yes. Yes. Absolutely, yes. Can you still have faith? Absolutely, yes. Are you getting all the gifts? No. No. So that's, that's why still all the gifts are important. And it's hard to say that, right? Because it sounds like the pastor will leave just to make sure there's enough in the offering plate to pay salary, right? But it's actually what we want is for everybody to receive all the gifts so that we can be abundantly clear in God's bestowing forgiveness, life, and salvation. So that was a really long answer to a rather short question. Does that bring up any other questions or thoughts? My thought is, what about the years that I worked and they didn't have extra services? I was a nurse. I worked in the morning on Sundays. Sometimes you didn't get to go to church every week. That's why you got church on that's, and that's one of the reasons we have church on Wednesday now as well. I, and like I said, we, we would never say that just because you can't make it on Sunday morning, you're not a Christian. But we'd also say it's really good to come and get all the gifts. Is that, is that a, again, there's a tension there. I'm talking about the people who think they know better than God. So right. They think they well, don't they, need to be there, they period. They don't, they, they just, you know... I had a guy in North Dakota who always said, um, in hunting season, it wasn't me. <laughs> I like hunting just as much as anybody else. Uh, but he always said, you know, I could be there in church, or I could be out in God's creation, where I can see what God made with his own hands. And I think one of those is probably better than the other, you know, being out in God's creation. Did God create the world? Yes. Can you look out at the sky when you're outside in the woods and think, wow, God must have made this, and that's amazing. Sure. But the God of nature holds the potential to be dangerous because God also made the mountain lion creeping up behind you <laughs> that pounces on you. Or God also made the steepness of the wall of the Grand Canyon when you slip in and fall. The God of nature, which is the real God, is not revealing his grace and mercy and faith through word and sacrament. And that's the dangerous part. Have I been at church every single Sunday in my entire life? No. Have I been at church every Sunday since I've been a pastor? No. Is that going to keep me from going to heaven? No. No. Christ is the reason that I'm going to heaven. At the same time, is it good for me to come and be in church? Yes. Absolutely. And it's good to, this is why it's good to have communion every week too. It's good to receive all the gifts and not just part of them. So is that a fair way to say, Mark? Yeah. We wouldn't say, because you had to work, you're not a Christian. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
So, is anybody, nobody's throwing anything. Does that sound fair the way I'm trying to say it here? No. Uh, I think that's what the scripture teaches, and that's what the point uh, of uh, the study here in this little section is also. But you do hear a lot of people that do not go to church bring up that the subject of going outside and worshiping the Lord in nature. But I say to them, I'm not that crucified. I don't have that ability to crucify myself that way. And and in in the outdoors. There's no word. Teacher. There's no teacher. There's no sacraments. And those are the places where God builds faith. And that's why it's so important to be here and not just in the outdoors. And I say that as a guy who likes to hike and fish and hunt and swim. Is that fair to say, Ella? That's why my office is covered in dead animals. That's what common sense. <laughs> All right. We're over time here. Um, we'll, let's pray, pray the Lord's Prayer, and then if you have other questions, we can do that too. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our 